enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the newest episode. It's been so long of the Theater Enthusiast Podcast. As always, our hot priest candle is lit to bless our podcast. Also secretly hoping that Andrew Scott returns to Broadway. And I'm drinking out of my hot priest mug. Today's guest, I was very fortunate enough to direct in a virtual reading last summer. And he is delightful and super, or wickedly talented. See what I did there? Please welcome Nick Asworth. Wait for it. I, I forgot I have an app that I do things with and it doesn't work on Zoom, but you'll hear it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> they love you. They love me. Oh my goodness. Well, you know what's it's weird about that app is that like, you'll hear it for like a split second on the recording right. and then it just like cuts out. Right, because like, Zoom thinks it's it like out. filtered out. I heard it for a second. And that's more applause than I've gotten in two and a half years. I went out to dinner last night for my best friend's birthday. And I, yeah. I don't remember what I did or what I said, but people applauded and somebody snapped at me. It's like, I've oh. never gotten snaps before. I felt yeah. like very. It's weird very... the first time it happens and you have to like reset your brain to be like, oh no, this is a good thing. Oh no. I looked at him. I was like, thank you. I've never gotten snaps before. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, yeah. I already showed you the mug, but the people listening don't know what mug I have yeah. for you. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, shout out my old roommate, Mai. She's like the only one who listens. I joke. Other people do sometimes. Um, she does mostly. It's interesting. It's going to be great. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. But if I didn't have a baby, I'd listen. I just don't. I fall asleep. No, it's not your maybe fault. I fall asleep to all things. You should play a podcast to lull your baby to sleep. She's not the one who needs getting to sleep it's me because i just lay there maybe like, listen to a podcast to lull yourself to sleep i have plenty of episodes pick whichever one but i want to actually listen to yours thank you well anyway getting back to the mug for those who do listen know that one of my favorite musicals of all time is natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 and nick was actually in that show so i have a great comment mug for him yay, yay! So I have my oh I have my shaker. Oh, I do somewhere. I also have an off-Broadway poster, it. which you didn't do off-Broadway, right? You joined, you joined it. I did not. That's right. I joined it at ART. Yeah, we'll get into it. So yeah. Nick, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm exhausted. But you know, we yeah. already talked about that. It's so all right. Let's start. Where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles, which nobody believes me when I say. <laughs> Why? Yeah, because I'm like a, I'm a my energetic kind of uh, hyper crazy person, and I bounce off the walls. And I'm not usually like that. No, they think they're like all surfers or something, and they think they're like super chill, and I'm like just not that chill. But isn't that like a stereotype of Californians? Just like how yes, like people uh, think New Yorkers <laughs> are really mean. Right. Exactly, and they're not. Well, I mean, they unless you walk us on the sidewalk when we're walking, then yes. Right. Like, I didn't mean to knock over the Portuguese family, like, a long time ago on 8th Avenue, but I did. It wasn't I on purpose. I may not have accidentally, like, walked behind people who were walking so slow where I gave a girl, like, a Charlie horse twice. Yeah. On a totally yeah. unintentional. And, like, the mother gave me right. such a dirty look. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're, you have no speed control and no brake lights. Like, you must keep moving. And there was, like, a group of teenagers who were walking so slow, and I unintentionally just went out loud, like, Really? And then yeah. she turned around like, sorry. I was like, eh. When my wife and I are walking uh, in the city, we like, we have to like plan how we're getting around people. 
like we'll like we just like glance at each other like this way that way and we just go pew pew and just kind of scoot around and through and dart oh i but can have people don't believe me. i can have a gold medal of like weaving through people on fifth avenue on christmas that's the mark of a true new yorker yeah that's how you I, know yeah i remember a couple of years ago i think i was on the upper west side and I was going to cross the street and I saw like a group of people and I went, nope. And I kept walking straight down and then I eventually right. crossed. Yeah. yeah. It's better to go that, to cross the street and go out of the way to get around the yeah. sidewalk blockers than mm-hmm. it is to try to deal. It's just less stressful. Kids, if you're listening, what it's like to live in New York. Anyway, so you're yeah. from LA. How from long, LA. when did your love of theater start, would you say? Well, we, all, we always grew up going to shows, like all the tours that came through, we always went. Um, my mom had a couple of friends who had connections to the Amundsen. So we would always go see shows there and we would see plays and musicals. And so it was always kind of a part of like what my sister and I did growing up. Um, and then, and we always thought it was cool, but we certainly never, like I never thought about, oh, I should go do that. Like never crossed my mind. And then in the summers uh, of middle school, my parents were like, get out of the house, go. Here, look, they're doing a play at school. You should go do that. And so I went to do that and then went, oh, this is great. And then as we went and saw shows after I had done one and then did the next summer's, you know, kid show and whatever it was, it was like The Boyfriend and then uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Then you kind of go, oh, memorizing lines is hard, but it's kind of fun. And oh, doing this stuff is hard and weird and scary, but also kind of fun. And then you go watch the pros do it and you went, oh, wait, this is awesome. And your my brain kind of exploded. And like I remember seeing the guys and dolls tour as a little kid going, What am I watching? I must do this. But without the the like direct I must do this, it was like, you know, those like you see like an astronaut. You're like, wow, I've got to go do that. But like there's no like realm in, of the imagination where you're actually gonna go be an astronaut. Yeah. It was like that. I was mm-hmm. like, sit down, you're rocking the boat. This is amazing. I should do that. But I might as well have been saying, like, I should learn to levitate. It like wasn't, it wasn't a real thing until like high school. So when did you realize in high school that you can do it professionally? Like pretty late. I think like pretty late. Like I did, uh, I did the plays and it was fun and I always played piano and was around music and stuff, but I never, I never thought about it. And I kind of kept doing it and kept kind of realizing that I, I don't know, I truly don't know. I, 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 my teachers kind of started paying more attention to me doing it. And like, I started realizing that they were pulling me aside more and like giving me more notes and like like taking extra time. And it wasn't like a, oh, you're struggling type of extra time. It was like a, oh, we, we kind of really want you to keep, keep doing this. So I was very lucky. And I had really great arts teachers who were like, keep going, keep doing it. Um, And then I did a a summer program, which is where I met my wife. And then uh, at Carnegie Mellon and I auditioned for a bunch of schools and everything, everywhere I applied pretty much, I applied for computer science and theater. Um, And my idea was I was gonna double major uh, in those things. And then I got into my school and off I went and (laughs) here we are. And where did you go to school? I went to the University of Michigan. You and 90% of Broadway. (laughs) Kinda, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a different era now, which feels weird because I graduated so long ago, but uh, yeah, there's, you know, we've got our Michigan Mafia. We're we're around here kicking and it's been helpful without that. I probably wouldn't have done Christmas story. Yeah. So you double majored in college for. I didn't end up doing it. I did not end up doing it. So I ended up getting, I was waitlisted at Michigan, ended up getting in 
And it was not for, that was not a place that I applied for a double major. And they, they didn't really do that on your application. You kind of got there and you figured and you like decided what your major was, mm -hmm. except if you auditioned for one of these programs in the school of music, uh, musical theater being one of them. And that was what I ended up getting off of the list for and got in I was like, oh, all right, well, that's crazy. I guess I'll, they only took at the time, I don't know what they take now, but they took 10 males, 10 females. And I was one of the 10 off the wait list. And I kind of went, I guess I have a shot at this. And so I just did that. Um, and then I like did the computer stuff later. Yeah. So yeah. are you like, do you still talk to people you went to college with? What was your college yeah. experience like at University of Michigan? It was, it ended up being exactly what I wanted, what I needed and wanted it to be. It was um, all the conservatory training that I wanted and all of like the really intense, really like, you know, bury yourself in it type work for, for in all of the, the disciplines, but it was also in a giant public university. So I got to go to football games every weekend. Like we got out of rehearsal sometimes to go to football games. Um, and you know, Michigan's a huge football school. There were 113,000 people in the stands. Like it was, it was a cool thing. I got to take psychology classes. I got to take Spanish. I got to do and be in and around real I say real, which is like completely unfair, but it's say real. It's fine. You know, we, we always say muggles, right? Like, mm -hmm. like us theater doofuses, you know, like we talk about, like I'm married to a muggle and it's like the best thing on the planet. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I keep making faces, but like, I keep hearing okay. like a car horn go off and it's driving me nuts. Oh, that's all right. Go tell them to stop. Tell them they're jerks. I yell at sirens all the time. Yeah. Welcome well, to living yeah. in Manhattan kids. I was say, that's and there it is. Of a New Yorker. Yeah. So, so you're married to a muggle. You got to hang out with muggles. Got to, got to, to do all the things in a greater university setting that I wanted to do and meet people from all over. And I spent most of my time with my class and my, you know, that, that group of musical theater students, however many, you know, 80 of us that there were through all four years. Mm -hmm. um, and, but also didn't have to, if I needed a break from theater, which is real. I, I didn't have to go uh, and party with the theater majors. I could go hang out with, with my, like I had, I, I was in an acapella group for a very brief time, but through that, I met a bunch of friends. One was a, a, a mathematics major. One was a business Did major. Did you have PTSD watching Pitch Perfect? Oh, that's why I didn't watch Pitch Perfect. Yeah, I'm kind of over Pitch Perfect. I think it's like beating a dead horse at this point. I, I don't, I, I have trouble subscribing to, and look, I'm, I'm not dissing anybody's shows. Work is work and keep making all of the things and shows and telling all the stories. I just don't need to watch stories about what we do. Yeah. Like I couldn't watch Smash. I tried. It just, okay. it, and not for any, because I thought it was bad. It was just, I was watching people audition and I don't need to watch people audition. I don't, my, I don't. My favorite is when you work in the theaters, like I did doing merch at that time, yeah. when you had like the very, like critical like gays who also worked in the theater yeah like doing bar or whatever and one of them is like yeah because you can leave your show in a costume and not get in trouble and like I love how the theater is on 44th but the stage door is on 48th street like if if that's what you're scrutinizing about the show you're doing it wrong yeah but also not wrong no, it was so, true. I was like, oh, like, that's hilarious. But no, like yeah. Smash has found like a new following because it's on Amazon or who it's on one of the streaming services. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, look, to each his own. That's great. To each their own. I just, oh, my wife is awesome. I'm bringing closer. Thank you. I wrote that song for you. Okay. She left. Bye. I, I saw a bad girl. Thank now you I for have... the coffee. Yeah. But, um, we can yeah, yeah, yeah. that song together. Thank you for the coffee. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's, a, oh, that's so all I could do. Yeah, thank you. Can I curse on here? I curse a lot. You can fucking curse as much as you want. Yeah, shit. I'm not. Yeah. It's just a part of my blood. It's okay. I'm tired, so I, I might like brain fart a bunch of times on here and cuss and say I might real fart. things. And real fart? I'm not going to do that. I mean, my last name is Gasworth. I got to earn it. Yeah, that's true. My nickname growing up was, well, not even growing up, but my nickname actually in Comet was Gassy. And in like most shows that I've done, because usually there's more than one Nick. It's not the least common name on the planet. Yeah. And for Comet, we had three regularly in the building named Nick and often four because our associate lighting designer was also Nick. So, so it was you, Nick Belton, and who was the other Nick? Nick Choksi. Who did he play? He played Dalkov. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to pick- Me, Belton, and Choksi. So it was- Yes. The, the, the more, yeah, so I was either Gasworth or Gassy. Like my, my great Comet softball jersey from Broadway softball is Gassy on the back. Nice. That's also like you grew up playing sports and if your last name is Gasworth, you kind of have to go in knowing they're going to use this. There are two people in college who called me Tranny because of my last name. All right. I mean, I was, it was literally only two people who called me that and I was fine with it. Yeah. Anyway, so do you still like hang out or you still are in touch with your fellow Michigan alums? Yeah. With, with a lot of them, actually, you know, with, with a whole lot of them. Um, and especially now with, you know, like social media and stuff, it makes it far easier. Um, but a lot of my closest friends are still, you know, the people that were I was in school with. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was just texting Nick uh, Nick Blameyer. You know his name, I'm sure, was in my class and we were buddies. Sounds very familiar. I would have to see his face. Sirens! Sirens! Now, you, if, you, if you saw him, you'd know him or heard him, you'd know him. Um, but on, one I'm of my, gonna, my best friends and roommates in the city I'm and in college right now talk amongst yourselves what was it Nick Nick Blameyer was one of my classmates um, he's done a million things oh know yeah I know I saw him in Tick Tick Boom exactly there you go yeah he was he's, great he's awesome. in that um, I graduated with him and if you know Alexis Michelle um, from Drag Race um, uh, went to school with, with Alexis Michelle Alex Michaels um, I mean, my, my college roommate is one of my best buddies, lives in Queens. Uh, Michael Gassetta was a, a music major and accompanied all of us in our voice lessons. He's one of my best buddies who's here now. Um, the fun thing about Michigan is you still run into all of these people. I graduated 15 years ago, my God, mm -hmm. 15 years ago or so. And you run into people with a Michigan shirt and you can yell go blue across the street and you can guarantee that they'll, they will yell it back to you. Just sit in a Broadway theater and just yell it and see who responds from the stage. I guarantee you, I would put money on if you went to a, any Broadway show at any time, there is at least one Michigan alum there. I'm nodding my head, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or just taking over. So you graduate Michigan. Mm -hmm. What then? What happens next? Do you guys what have happens? a showcase? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So we had a showcase um, just in New York. We did, did do an LA showcase. showcase. I sang Man from the Full Monty. Um, at the time I was, I was mostly doing the like contemporary musical theater rock thing, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and singing as high as I possibly could. And so I did that, uh, but we had a showcase. It was at the West side theater. 
where a little shop is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where they always used to, I think they still do it there. I don't know. Um, I haven't been in a few years, but, uh, yeah, we did a little showcase. Um, uh, I ended up, I had a random connection. Actually, I found my agent who I'm still with after all this time, the same agent. Um, they didn't see me in showcase, but I ended up having a, a connection to them and was able to get a meeting. So I kind of moved to New York and was lucky enough within a few months to have an agent and get my equity card. Um, I did a show, uh, I did Full Monty at Westchester Broadway, which is sadly now closed down forever, which is, it just gives me, just breaks my heart. Um, but I, I was I was pretty lucky out of the gate, just having, having an agent and getting my card right away. Um, and then I didn't work for like a long time, but that's okay. So when you're not working, like at that yeah. time in your life, what were you doing to supplement your income? At that time I was waiting tables and bartending. Um, that changed to photography and I did headshots for a long time and events and would take, uh, do lots of like, uh, you know, like bands at their, at their shows and things like that. Um, and, and then that kind of, as I started working uh, in theater more often again, and kind of got out of that, that weird little slump right early on, um, I, I realized that you can't really have a photography business if you're not constantly shooting. Um, so that kind of died really when I went to Nemo a bunch of years later. Um, and then I've done a million things since, but now I'm a, I'm a web designer and a, and a programmer, but at that time I, it was all photography all the time. I want to know, I will fully admit never seen the Nemo show, but I want to know how does one audition for that? How does one get cast in that? I want to know the inner workings of working in Disney yeah. world on the finding Nemo show that doesn't that exist anymore. That's the best job I've ever had. It was the best job I've ever had. Like Broadway's awesome. Broadway's yeah. awesome and I feel very lucky and very fortunate and I cannot wait to hopefully get back there at some point soon. But I'm an overgrown man child. And so I got to like do a show, go on a roller coaster, get a turkey leg and go back and do another show. Like this was my life. It was amazing. Um, but I got that show through my agent. It was, they, they were auditioning for the cruise ships actually. Um, and at the time I was dating somebody who we were trying to get booked on the show, on the ship together. Um, and I was very young and very skinny and I was, they were looking at me for the role of Bert in Mary Poppins on one of the cruise ships for one of their big shows. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend at the time was up against one other person. She didn't happen to get it. So we turned, both turned it down and they called a few days later and said, wait, we have a different thing for you come in for a callback for Nemo. We'll use your original auditions because they tape everything because their teams are all in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I went into a studio here, did a regular in-person audition. They then called and said, wait, we saw your tapes. We want you to come in for Nemo, which is land-based and you don't have to live on a ship. Um, and I ended up booking that and they paid to relocate me to Orlando. They paid for my apartment. So they housed me. They All I had to do was get a car. That's all that I had to do. Um, and legend is before I was there. So they only did that. They did this for Marlon, who I played the uh, mm-hmm. Nemo's dad, mm-hmm. Nemo and Dory. Those are the three roles they cast out of New York. Not exclusively. They had many Orlando uh, yeah. Nemo stories and Marlon's who were all awesome. So like, it wasn't like you only had, you had to be a New York actor. Dude, yeah. not at all. But if you were lucky enough to snag this gig, they basically paid for you to relocate your life to Disney. Um, and then I did this awesome show it was so much fun. And I met all these awesome people and got to like lead a show, which I'd never really gotten to do. Um, and haven't really gotten to do since, um, in any like big way. Um, and like, 
got to go to the parks whenever we wanted and we would all hang out at Epcot and I, we were, we had a softball team and like, it you was were awesome. saying something about like legend had it before I went down there. I'm so sorry. Legend no, had okay. it. If you were cast as a Marlin or a Dory at that, before I got there, they also mm-hmm. gave you a car and gas. Wow. It was like this, even, be- I mean, my, my deal was awesome. Um, and it wasn't like, I mean, it didn't make a million and a half dollars, but like, it was great. I, especially having never made any real money in my life ever up to that point, other than like scraping by, it was pretty cool. Um, like I had savings for the first time ever. I'd never had savings before. Um, but, uh, yeah, they used to give you a car. They didn't give me a car. That would have been awesome. Did you have to share the role with somebody? Was it like different casts? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So during the busy season, they would do, if I remember correctly, six to seven shows a day, like rarely seven. You would only ever do, as a principal, you would do three. That was your shift. So you would either show up in the morning shift or the afternoon. Um, You have two days off. uh, And they were awesome in that, like, say your days off and say you were Monday through Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Your last show, say, was was over at two o'clock p.m. They wouldn't schedule you for the morning shift for that Monday coming back. They'd get you in the afternoon. So you would have like two and a half, almost three full days off. That's amazing. Go do three shows. The show was 42 minutes long. You do your 42 minute show. And it was exhausting. Like it was really, really hard. It was really fun. It was all puppetry and running and sweating bullets, which is like my favorite type of show to do. Um, Comment. Yeah. Um, Like if my workout is my show, I'm the happiest person on the planet because I hate the gym. But I like exercise, but I hate gyms. Oh, no, I I don't. My exercise is like walking from my bed to my bathroom, to my desk, to the bathroom, to the kitchen, to the desk, to my bed. You know, just small steps around the apartment. And then sometimes when I'm not working, I'll go outside and take a walk. What is outside like? I don't have an answer. I did go outside today to Dwayne Reed to buy toilet paper. Nice. Thank you. That seems like an important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I ran out of toilet paper a few months ago because I was so stocked because of the pandemic. And I was like, oh, no. But listen, if you need some disinfectant wipes. Yeah. Are you stocked? I I am stocked for the next 20 years. Rock and roll. I actually, I bought like a generic four, like two four packs, like from Bed Bath & Beyond, like probably sometime last year. And they were sitting in my apartment and one of my best friends moved to a new apartment. I'm like, I'm going to gift you a four pack of disinfectant wipes that I don't need because I have so many wipes and it's just sitting in my apartment. So I got rid of at least a pack of four. It's like, um, it's like a, it's like a disinfectant spot made or disinfectant garage sale. Yeah. I was like, here, have it. I don't need it. I have so many. Clean your surfaces. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, though, if I used to, if like, if I was still working in the hotels, those wipes go very quickly because I would always. Oh, you in the what? I didn't know you worked in hotels. Yeah, I worked in the hotel industry for six and a half years. Damn! Awesome. Yeah. Was it? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, like, <laughs> my entire like work life has always been like customer service or sales or, you know, whatever. And so I worked for a concierge company that was like, looking back on it were like horrible. They were crooks. They treated their employees like shit, like just terrible. So 
I'm like weirdly a germaphobe when I'm like at work. Cause you know, you're interacting. And this was even like before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, not every desk has disinfecting wipes. So I would always carry around a pack of disinfecting wipes right? because if I'm going to a desk that I haven't worked at in a few days or somebody's working there before me, I would always wipe down the desk because I don't want other people's germs. Yeah. 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 I mean, but it was a blessing in like as horrible and how horrible the pandemic was and is it was a blessing in disguise. I got laid off from that job and my new company now it's just like, Oh wait, you value your employees. Oh, yeah. I don't have to put a time off request months in advance. Like I put my time off request for no, for this month back in August. That's great. Or like July. I don't even remember. And my boss is like, you put it so far in advance. I'm like, I don't have to. <laughs> But no, I told her, I'm like, I kind of need to know if I'm like not working because yeah. I need to book my plane tickets right. and I don't want to do it like the week before or like the month before. No. Yeah. So anyway, it's, I even said to my boss today, I was like, can I just say like how amazing you are for like asking if like we're willing to change your schedule because my yeah. old job wouldn't do that. Like depending on who the manager was and was doing the schedule, they would just like change your schedule without even talking to you about it. And I like, I like, I popped off on him. I like lost my shit. And my mom was like, you're going to have a heart attack. Calm down. It's like, you don't understand. Like the guy changed my schedule and the day that I normally don't work to a hotel I never worked at before and to a day that I don't work. So it's like, like I'm different from like everybody else. Like I plan my schedule around the days that I don't work. So like, right. I mean, I was, I think I was recording my podcast that day. I don't remember with who, but I'm like, I could have changed that, but still like I made plans that day. That's like beside the point though, because that's your life and your time, not theirs. Yeah. And he's like, nothing's guaranteed. Like we can't guarantee this. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I've had the same days off for the amount of times I've worked at this company and like, also, okay. it's funny to me, they're like, oh, well, you know, if you have seniority, we take things seriously, but they never took anything into consideration. Like, whatever. I don't work for them anymore. They can kiss my ass. That's right. That's right. That's toss right. my stray hairs. Toss, yes. toss. So w- how did Finding Nemo come to an end for you? Uh, so I ended up, so I was there for about eight months um, and uh, I got... Uh, a call to come audition for the Christmas, sorry, sorry, going but right before Nemo, I had done Christmas Story, the, the pre-Broadway tour. So it was still in development. They had done it once or twice before. It had changed a lot. So I had done this little mini tour. This like, it was like one of the very first CETA tours, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we were out of Chicago. And so I did, I had done that. Didn't think much of it. We didn't know it was going to happen. The director changed from Warren Carlyle to John Rando. And like, so casting was going to change. We didn't know anything. So we did that, figured it was an isolated thing. Went to Nemo, moved to Orlando for, I didn't ever intend to stay forever, but I certainly intended to stay for longer than the eight months. Ended up getting a phone call saying, hey, come back and re-audition for Christmas Story. And I said, well, if I were in the city, I would, but I'm in Orlando and I'm not, I I wasn't going to go pay. My pride would not allow me to go to pay for a flight to go audition for a show that I had done. Um, and for a team that I knew um, and that I got along well with. And that's a, that's another two guys that I went to college with were Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Um, they were friends from college and I'd done shows with them in New York before and, and other work of theirs. 
So I was like, they know me. If they want me, they know where to find me. Very happily, like, hope you call me, but I'm not flying down. Mm -hmm. I got a call from music director, Ian Eisendrath, who said, hey, if you put your body here, we're going to cast you. So I said, okay, I guess I'll fly down and put my body there. So I flew down. Um, James Gray, the associate choreographer, uh, you know, I met up with him quickly because I wasn't able to be at the dance call. He like stepped me through it because he's awesome. It was like, great, you're fine, cool. Went in to sing. And about 45 minutes later, I got a phone call that I was, that they'd, they wanted me to do Christmas Story on Broadway. And so I called Disney and said, hey guys, I have this thing. I know I'm breaking my contract. And I was like ready for like a, a contract fight with Disney. And I was like, this, this is gonna be a bigger deal than it should be. And uh, they went, oh my God, you have to go do it. You have to go do it. It's like, oh, okay, yes, I do. And I will. And it was like, they were so nice about it. And yeah. so I left my contract at a Christmas story on Broadway and that was my Broadway debut. And then they let me come back. <laughs> Nemo let me come back after the Christmas season was over and the show you know, was a limited run. Um, and I went back to Nemo. And then I did it all over again for Christmas Story the next year. So talk about making your Broadway debut. Was this the Lafontaine Theater it premiered yeah. at? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that. What was it like making your Broadway debut? It was crazy. It was it was like the thing that you think about since for, from the very first show that you do, and you kind of realize, oh, maybe this is a thing I want to try to do professionally. And you think about it as like, a, a, well, that would be cool if this ever happened. Um, uh, and like, it, it was nuts. Uh, you, you, the thing that I won't forget ever is our very first preview. Like the very first bow you take on Broadway. It's like, oh, this is never going to happen again. And I was, I was lucky in that there was a guy in our cast, Mark Ledbetter, who had been in, I don't remember how many Broadway shows, one or two, um, nicest guy on the planet. And he grabs me right before curtain call and was like, remember this, this one, we, we were, you know, it was previews. Like we hadn't even had our big opening yet. He was like, remember this, this is never going to happen again, ever. It's like, oh, and like, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I'm so glad he said that. Um, so we went out, uh, we all bowed, we all cried, and it was amazing. Um, and the weird thing is after that, it's a regular show. It's like any show you do anywhere uh, until you step out of the stage door and you like, oh, I'm on 44. Okay. Um, I'm not in Idaho or wherever you are. Not there's anything wrong with Idaho, but it's not Broadway. Yeah, um, I'll never, and I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but I'll never forget the first night of previews of Once I mm -hmm. went to, and I was in like second or You saw their first preview? Yeah, I saw the first, were Very you there cool. for that? No, I, I never got to see it. I was, I was out of town for most of the months. I never got to see it. Yeah, I know. I had friends, I, I now have friends who I know were in it. I didn't know them at the time. But. That, that and Comet are like the two placements of my heart of just everything, but yeah. I will never forget first night of previews because curtain call happened. Everybody's on their feet, like standing ovations, cheers, woos, everything you would expect. Cast goes off, lights go up. The audience would not leave. They are still applauding, losing mm -hmm. their shit that they made the actors come back out on stage and do an encore, encore curtain call. And then like yep. you saw some of the actors crying. Like it was a really, it was a really special, like- That's beautiful. That's amazing. There. Yeah. We, we had a moment like that at ART, our very first performance at Comet. Yeah. People didn't know what they were in for and they saw the thing and we all were like 
getting undressed and Karen Meek, our PSM comes over the speaker backstage. She's like, get the fuck back out there. And I was standing with Katrina Yaki, who plays the accordion and amongst uh, many things she did in the show. She's one of the best humans who's ever been born. And we were both like, I, I guess we, we go back out. What do we do? Yeah. Like we didn't, nobody knew what to do. We stood out there and experienced what you just described and it like blew everybody's mind. It was the coolest thing. Yeah. I mean, I also went, I was also there the first night of waitress reopening. Oh my God. Oh, reopening. Yeah. When it, at, when like first night back on, like the first quote unquote mm-hmm. musical to reopen on Broadway, yeah. I was yeah. there. So I was there for the standing ovation before the announcement. Uh, I was, yeah. yeah, it was like standing ovation throughout the show. It was pretty incredible. I'm, I'm very excited to finally go see a show. I haven't, I've not been back to see a show yet. I've seen a couple. Oh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a baby. It's hard. <laughs> I've seen, what have I seen? I've seen Waitress. I saw, I keep forgetting I saw this. Um, well, my friend got me a comp ticket. That's probably why. Cause I'm like, I didn't pay for it. Mm. I saw, I finally saw it. Uh, David Burns, American Utopia. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so good. Really? I saw the HBO thing and I was like, uh. people keep talking about it, but you know, it's right. going to be on HBO. And then my one of my best friends works at the St. James as an usher. And I said to her, I'm like, the show is fucking awesome. Like you're gonna like it a lot better than Bruce Springsteen, which she does. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole it's funny. My dad's a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and he liked sure. that thing for Netflix. Like they recorded his Broadway show for it. And right. I was at his house when it like first came on Netflix. And I was like, oh no. Your dad's house it. or Bruce Springsteen's house? Both, actually. My dad awesome. is Bruce Springsteen. That's nobody Why knows it. Why didn't you ever? Well, you shouldn't have said it on a podcast then. Yeah, sorry, Dad. No, my father, <laughs> not Bruce Springsteen, uh, my actual father, who's a Springsteen fan. So we started to watch it, and my dad's like, "I can't watch this. It's too boring." Amazing. <laughs> I was like, but no, like I, David Burns, American, and I said when I was home, I actually went home last weekend, and I said to my stepmom and my dad, I'm like. I think you would very much like American Utopia. I think yeah. I think anybody would like it. Honestly, it's just it's just so good. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw I Six. I won the lottery for uh-huh. that, which was nice. awesome because yeah. I never win any lottery. I saw right. Moulin Rouge. Okay. I saw Little Shop. Sorry, I have my screen just moved. There we go. Say Well, I mean, I'm not. This video of us is not going up anywhere. It's just the audio. Oh, no, I know. But I but I looked like I was looking away. I was like, but this. Uh, oh, I'm not looking at you directly. I keep going like this. I have a problem with eye contact sometimes. Um, what else did I say? I think that's it. But that's tomorrow, tomorrow I'm seeing Assassins. Ooh, with Katrina Yaki. Wait, who, who is he playing? Katrina? Oh, is she in that? She's an assassin? She's playing the accordion in it. I'll be like, I know Nick Gasworth. Great She's yelling. Comment. She's yelling. She's yelling. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So leading up to my Disney trip for like the last two weeks plus, I'm listening to Disney music. <laughs> so nice. every That's, time. As you should. That's how you prepare. Yeah. And every time like a Pocahontas song comes on, I hear Judy Kuhn. And I said to my friends, and- I'm like, do you think at some point I can just yell out Pocahontas? Just well, around the river bend. Really- and she'll just stop doing what she's doing and sing that. Yeah, and just be like, that's how she'll work. Just be like, stop it. She'll be like, um, yeah. And then on Sunday, I'm seeing Carolina change. Oh, man, 
I love that score. Yeah. Well, we have, I actually never heard it, any of it. I'd never seen the show. I mean, I know what it's about because I Wikipedia it. Um, just so like I know what I was getting into. So but good. yeah. So but what, I will say this, and like I'm gonna be on the record on my podcast about this. Yes. Roundabout has like the best customer service I've ever dealt with. That's awesome. Like they and I even like said to them, like, you guys are delightful because we had tickets, right? I was a hip to I was a gold member because personally i do not like rear mezzanine at studio 54 sure not a fan of it creepy dog coming through the door Uh, howie wanted to say hi it's my dad's name is howard that's our cocker spaniel's name there you go the the springsteen fan um yeah so we had like the you can either like get your tickets refunded or like do the you know use this code so i called them and i said hey the code expired and they're like, oh, no, you can still use it. And I said, great. I said, I was hip to go, blah, blah, Long story short, they're like, oh, your membership expired. So you can't get a gold ticket. I'm like, um, I was like, you guys can honor their, the fact that, right. like, well, you know, we had things during the pandemic and it's like, okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it kind of like, wasn't my fault. And also right. like I paid to become a gold member so I can get good seats at Studio 54, because no offense, like the seats in the room has kind of suck. And she's like, let me talk to my manager and see yeah. what they say. And I got an email like a few hours later. They're like, oh yeah, no worries. We'll be able to honor it. That's awesome. And I was like, that's amazing. And it's like, and I'm like, talk to my mom. I'm like, no offense. They really should. Cause it's not my fault that like a global pandemic happened. And like, if you buy something as a gold member, even though your membership expired, you should still honor the fact that I got to. You still bought that thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But like they were, they were awesome about it. And then I ended up having to change the date of the tickets, and they were great about that too. I was like, you guys, roundabout, roundabout, guys, just awesome. That's awesome. That's great news. Yeah, they brought Benjamin Walker back to Broadway. (laughs) I love him. I still think he should have played Nikki Arnstein, but not a, my dream cast of, of Funny Girl didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Did you audition for that? Maybe you should audition for that. No, nah, I, I didn't. I never did. No, I never got anything there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so where were we? We were Christmas story, and then you go Christmas back story. to Nemo. Yeah, so I went, yeah. Okay, so then after Nemo, ha- like, Again, how does the second bout of Nemo end? Is, is your contract over? Did you just cast in something else? Literally the same thing. So Christmas Story was going to go back uh, and do a mini tour and then end at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. They brought back whoever now from the Broadway cast, because now the show wasn't going to change. And it, yeah. they, they just, whoever was available. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of us were, majority of us were. Um, and so they offered me another another production contract. And I was like, well, I go do it. And that time I left, I did it. And I didn't ever go back to Nemo full time. I went back a couple times to sub. Like mm-hmm. I went back to visit. Um, uh, and I, at the time I was dating somebody who had worked at Nemo for a long time and she was up here in New York with me. So we would go back and forth every once in a while and just like do a few shows to keep our Disney status up like mm-hmm. in the computer system effectively and be not have to be re-rehearsed and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I got to go back a few times after the second, I guess, third Christmas story uh, round um, and kind of hang out there. Um, but that was it. That was, that was my, that was my last after those like couple sub substitute shows that I and did. And then you stay in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And then how does Wicked happen? Wicked happens like 10 years after Christmas Story. Wicked oh, happens, so then what years. happens between, so then- I didn't wait until after Comet. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. I'm jumping, like I'm all over the place. So let's not go, all right. let's go in chronological order. So sure, what happens after Christmas Story? After Christmas Story was, uh, uh, what was that? That would have been like 2013 was that last year because 2012 was Broadway, I think. Wait, I have the poster. I'm looking. It doesn't have years on it. Bastards. Okay. So no, I think 2012 I... was Christmas Story, Broadway. 13 was Madison Square Garden. Um, and then I, I, regional stuff and readings and lots of web work and not getting big, cool jobs for a long time. Um, cool jobs, but not like big jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, uh, little time goes by. And then I ended up uh, getting Great Comet at ART, which I think was 2016. Um, so let's, so talk like about, let's talk about the Comet experience. Yeah. How does that audition come about? What is the audition like for Comet? Yeah. What's the so, like? Let's, let's take a deep dive. Yeah. I mean, you tell me what you want. It was, it was a crazy thing, as you imagine, if you know the show. I mean, I know you know the show. Right. Um, it was uh, like, I actually, I was, I got an audition when I was at Nemo for the tent. And I turned it down because I'd been at Nemo for like a month. I was like, I, I, I'm not leaving now. I just got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. And I'd listened to some of them. Like they sent me some demos, I think. And I was like, this is weird. I don't get it. Um, but like completely out of context. So I didn't know what I was listening to. So then fast forward to when I actually auditioned for it and I was done with Nemo uh, and they were going to go to ART. It was a regular old, old audition for my agents. And I went in, sang uh, uh, some a crazy tune that a friend of mine, a composer friend of mine had written because I didn't know what else to do. And he'd written this crazy, yelly, screamy, angry song. And I was in for Pierre. Uh, and so I went in and uh, I sang that and it was kind of, pretty standard. They then brought me back to play piano because Pierre needs to play piano. And that was when they decided I was going to be up for the understudy for him, uh, but also ensemble. So they had me play piano and they had me do all this other stuff. Uh, and then kept me for this dance call. That was like, a, it was like, a, it was like a 45 minute dance party, which is kind of my nightmare. It's a little bit my nightmare. I'm not a dancer. I can move. I'm athletic, but I'm not like a technical dancer. Yeah. Um, and it became clear very quickly that it wasn't going to be that. And it was kind of a blast. And it was Sam Pinkleton uh, mm-hmm. leading it, who's our choreographer. And he's funny and, and very, uh, 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 he's, he's not an intimidating person. You don't meet Sam and go, and you're not horrified like you are in a Broadway dance audition mm-hmm. or like I am in a Broadway dance audition. Uh, and it I was a blast. Though, I cannot do a time step and yeah. having interviewed Andrew Kober, he yeah. has admitted he can't do one either. So I feel a lot better that I can't do one. I don't have to do a time step. Not everybody yeah. does a time step. Not yeah. every, like, that's the thing. Even, I'm never going to be hired to do a time step either. Yeah. I worked at a dance studio like years ago, you know, yeah. with my nine lives of jobs. And I even had like five-year-olds try to teach me a time step. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. Once you get to that point, you should just let it go. I was like, I can't, I'm not good with like choreographed dancing. Like you Mm. should see me in like the one Zumba class I took like 10 years ago. It was like awkward and not fun. Well, so then you might've liked the the great combat dance call. Because basically what he did was he taught us like a little, little pieces of combinations, but mostly he taught us vocabulary. Mm. So he was like, okay, this move, we're going to call this fairly arbitrarily. This Mm. move, we're going to call this. 
let's like string a few together as like a sample. So we kind of did it. Okay, great. Then he put us in a big circle, all of us. Uh, and the person I remember being there specifically was Ashley Flanagan, who ended up doing the show. Um, uh, and it was also awesome. But he kind of like half partnered us up, half didn't, and kind of just was like, let's see what happens. And using these moves and these things, and then your own little flair, have fun and just party. Do this crazy Russian dance party. And that's what we did. Uh, and I ended up doing... so very small backstory. I grew up playing baseball and was a catcher. Mm -hmm. um, and I also always have been into cycling. So I mostly composed of quadriceps, mm -hmm. just mostly quads and a bald head. That's like my whole body is quads and a bald head. Um, and so I did these like low, jumpy, crazy, vaguely fake Russian, like low jump squat things mm -hmm. that I made up on the spot which ended up making their way into the actual show. Oh, I, I remember. Yeah, but the, those well. were born out of my dance audition. That's amazing. So did all these things, got the show, went to ART, started rehearsals, and Sam Pingleton comes up to me, one rehearsal, I was like, hey, can you stay for like 10 minutes? You did this crazy thing in your dance call, and I want to see if we can put it in. I was like, it's not anything. I made it up. He was like, don't care. Don't care. Let's see what it is. And so that's how that's how the we the, they ended up being called the big boys, the this this particular move. I don't know what it is. I wonder it, if like any swing member who had to like go on for you was just like fuck this guy. <laughs> they hated me. They hated when they. I mean, it, here's the thing: it was fun, and you didn't have to do it for hours. Like you just had to do yeah. it. The problem was it went directly into this really high intensity, energetic mm -hmm. abduction. Like it was yeah. Balaga into the abduction, so it was one of the harder sequences because it was like. 15 minutes of sprinting up and downstairs yeah. and like just using all the muscles that you just exhausted getting to your spot. Yeah. That was, that was the hard part. Um, but also you got to do it on a platform in the middle of the Broadway or ART it was fun there too. In yeah. the middle of an audience doing these crazy jump squat, throwing sweat on people. And it was awesome. And like I said earlier, like with Nemo, like I, I want to do shows where I'm exhausted by the end. I don't love like, okay. So Dr. Dillon, awesome role. I would kill to do that for realty. Like I covered it, which was great. And I got to do it, but I would love to do that role. That said, he does two scenes. That's it. He doesn't do like the joke is in act two. He comes on boz and then bows. That's his act two. He crawls on, he boss, he bows. I'm like, that's great. But I want to be dead beat tired by the end of the show. And great comment. We all were dead beat tired by the end of the show. I'm still recovering from great comment. <laughs> yeah. It's just because people like me keep bringing it up, like, great comment. It's like the best. But it, but it was, I mean, I, I never mind it because it was, it changed the way I think about theater. It changed the way that I think about my own career. It changed the way I, I interact with people that I work with. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was very transformative. So I didn't see it in Boston, but how did yeah. it change from Boston to New York? Structurally, it was mostly the same um, and same from the tent to ART, although I didn't see it in the tent. Um, I didn't get to see it in the tent. Um, structurally, it mostly was the same. New songs added, songs changed, lyrics changed. Dust and Ashes, um, where I do my Groban impression. Which yeah, I, yeah, that was added for Groban. What's up? My, Have my you done Groban? your Groban impression? Yeah, I think, I don't remember oh, if I've done you it. You must have at one point in one of our rehearsals for, uh, for Dark Dark House, you must have. Maybe. I'm really, it all started with Oh Holy Night. Yes. And like his hands go up like this. Yeah. 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 
Um, well, th that was added for him. Um, yes, uh, I know that. But for but they added it and they gave it to Scott first at ART to try it out. So Scott mm -hmm. Stanglet, yeah. um, uh, who's also a magic human. Didn't he um, win an award for playing Pierre at ART? If he didn't, he should have. I think he did. I don't. I don't actually know, but I know that he was awesome. He was yeah. incredible, um, and I love Josh too. Um, completely different, which was also fun. Like nobody was ever asked to imitate the other. Yeah. Nobody like. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No. Two things about Grobes in a Grey Comet. Well, three yes. things. One, I um, found him much more attractive in the fat suit. Two. Funny. Yeah, there was, I think the second time I saw it on Broadway, I was with one of my best friends. We were sitting like all the way, like left orchestra, like under the stairs mm -hmm. that go up to the mezzanine. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And this yeah. guy is next to me. And I'm like, this guy's on his fucking phone, like the entire first act. And like pissed me off. And then we ended up talking to him at intermission. And then it turns out he's one of Robin's bodyguards. And oh, he's yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, 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 I have to sit here every show to make sure nobody grabs at him. Yes. I'm like, which yeah. happened a couple of times. I've heard there are some, there were some busted, busted things. Yeah. Everything, you know, nothing ever terrible, but like some days that weren't awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think people have asked him, he's like, I couldn't feel anything because of my fat suit. He couldn't feel anything because of his fat suit and he's a pro. So he just goes on with the show. Like he just moves yeah. on and gets rid of whatever's happening and, and keeps going. Yeah. Like, no, and then the third thing was I saw it before he left. And there's yeah. like one part, I think. Shit, what was it? Did that, did it? I can't remember. But I think he like broke character for like half a second and laughed and like looked really? at the audience. I was like, damn it, he's so good. Like, oh, yeah, he's awesome. Love him. Yeah. He's, I love he, his performance is great. He's a great, he's, he, he was, he was awesome. He's, he's also awesome. really funny. And I like how yeah. he's just like pokes fun of himself and he doesn't take him yeah. too seriously. And he's like not a bad actor either. Not at all. No, he's terrific. The thing that a lot of and yeah. sorry I to no. interrupt, but no, I watched no. his like Sunday morning interview they did about like him going into Comet. Mm -hmm. And you know, I really appreciate people who are like aware of like the stigma of like bringing in a quote unquote mm -hmm. name to a show. And he's like, that accordion traveled around with me for a year. Yep. And I made sure that I knew it. And he's mm -hmm. like, because you know, there is sometimes like a stigma of like having these names go into a show yeah. and he's like I like how to prove myself and he's like you know because I've been offered other roles and I didn't yeah. agree to do I guarantee he was offered Chicago he's been offered I'm sure he's offered things on a monthly basis mm -hmm. but the one of the I mean of the many things that I greatly respect about him was that his his the whole time he was there yeah all he wanted to do was do a better show than he did the night before yeah. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to be part of the group, part of the ensemble, like part of the of the team. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He was not interested in being the star of the show. He was interested in doing the show and doing the role. So every yeah. show was was that. He yeah. want like in rehearsals. He asked us for notes. He was like, "What am I doing? Is this weird? Is this good? Is this bad?" And we're like, "We're not going to tell you any of those things," but or anybody else in the cast. Yeah. But he just wanted to work. He was there because he wanted to do the work, and it was clear. Like he was never there because of ego he was never there because like I don't know he, he was there because he, for the same reasons that we were there I and honestly like I wasn't working in that theater or that show at the time but when okay. Sean Diddy Combs now love whatever he changed his name to 
when he did A Raisin in the Sun yeah. on Broadway, from what I heard from like the people who worked at the theater at the time, he would be there every day before the show, like prepping mm-hmm. and working with an acting coach. That's awesome. Which I was like, damn, that's like so fucking great. And I really like when actors or performers or whatever take it seriously. And they're not there yeah. just to be like, hey, I'm going to do a show on Broadway. No, and that, I agree. Um, yeah. and, and Josh was the same way. He yeah. just wanted to do a really, yeah. really good show. Yeah. And yeah, who knows? Like, I'm sure not everybody is like that, but we sure. also don't know. But like, you know, you can you know, sometimes you can just tell. I've had people try to fight me about Groban. I've had people who want me to tell them like like dirt and like stories like, when was he a diva? I was like, he wasn't, man. Like he just we all showed he up. Doesn't, he show. doesn't seem like the type to be like that either. No. Like we would hang out with his dog in his dressing room. Like he was chill. Like he showed up to work like everybody. Yeah. There was no and he was also great hosting the Tonys with Sarah yeah, Brown. I I I have an endless amount of respect for the man. He was a blast and we had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. So once Comet is over, what's yeah. next? So Comet was over and then the requisite, oh my God, I don't have a job. What do I do? Panic sets in. And a few months later, a bunch of months later, um, I went in for Wicked, which I'd been in before, for before, as most of us, it's like law and order. You, everyone's kind of been in for it, um, mm-hmm. except me actually. Uh, but you go in and you sing again. I've been cut from their open calls many times um, and whatever, they need you, they don't, whatever. So I went in yet again, I was like, all right, here I go. I'm gonna sing really high, did my thing, came back and they had me do some sides and then it became a real, like oh they're actually looking this time and they actually maybe are going to hire me uh and so i ended up getting the swing track on the tour um the the male singer swing which was bonkers so why don't you not many people i've had on the podcast really anybody who's been on the podcast have been swings before mm-hmm. so why don't you can you talk about what it's like being a swing yeah um it's it's bananas it's 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 hard but it's really rewarding like you're you you effectively save the show all the time um but it's 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 intense like i had never done it i'd understudied before but the most i'd ever done was like my own track in an ensemble and then i, I guess it was comet was the hardest i'd done because i did that and i understudied pierre and balaga so that's a total of three roles to know and you never went that's on for pierre right i never went on for pierre i never got to do it one day um, one day. And that's on my list that you asked me to prepare. Oh. Well, <laughs> if that cabaret does ever happen and in that email, yeah. I was like, so um, you're going to sing great comment. That's my request. <laughs> yeah, you Thank did. you. And you never responded to me. So I'm like, okay. Wait, or like earlier on, like way, way back when we were going to try to do our thing. No, when we were supposed to do like a cabaret last month and it never happened. Oh, the, oh, the, yes. Yeah. That, yeah, no, I, I would have figured, yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah. I was going to practice my piano box and get. I get think we're going to try and do another one at some point. So you you can do Pierre then. You know where to find my bald ass? Well, I mean, you have some hair. Some, not a lot. There's like some hair. It's, it's there. There. Bald um, adjacent. Bald adjacent. That's good. Oh, I like that. That's nice. That's, <laughs> that's why I grow the beard so that I don't look like a thumb. Like all like during Wicked, I looked like a human thumb because my I was completely bald head entire thing shaped. you know who kind of looks like a thumb oh. harry connick jr and annie huh interesting 
I mean, and, that's also the Warbucks thing though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what's really funny is like the, the message boards were like, oh my God, I thought he's bald, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, calm the f- down. Like, is that first what of all, about? he doesn't have to be bald. And <laughs> even though he's not bald, they can put a wig cap on him, Yeah, which they're doing. Yeah. And they cast Annie as a person of color, which like, honestly, I don't, I think that's fantastic. Like cast whomever you think is going to be best for the role. Find a good kid and cast him. Yeah. Whatever that kid happens to be. Oh my, I'm so excited for Annie Live. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's it's a good cast. I also really like Nicole Scherzinger. Sure I think she's very good. That sounds right. And the Pussycat Dolls. Yeah. She was the best thing about that Dirty Dancing remake from like four years ago. Oh, I didn't see it. Don't, you don't have to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so anyway... We were talking about wicked and swinging. Yeah, it was nuts. So you get there and they're like, all right, we know the first track you're going to go on for. It's going to be in three weeks because he's going to go get married. So this was Michael Drolet was had his wedding kind of vacation planned. So I knew that I had basically three weeks to learn that vocal track, which was the the tenor one, learn his whole show and, and do it. It's like tech it, do it, get put in for it. Um, what I didn't realize was they were going to teach me that and then everything else anyway at the same time. So I learned his track, had that down. Okay, great. Then I figured I would get to practice that. No, no, no. The second, and I literally mean the second that I was taught, our dance captains taught me the last moment of his show, his curtain call. Mm-hmm. Got a five minute break, turned it around and I started learning my next track, which was Witch's Father. Um, and like, I didn't know how to compartmentalize those things in my brain. So I immediately started making crazy mistakes in rehearsal because I couldn't keep them straight and you get used to it very quickly because you have to, but it, it was hard it's hard. So I ultimately covered six tracks in Wicked. So it was four ensemble men plus Dr. Dillamond and the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And so I did all those guys. And the witch's uh, father is one of the ensemble members. Witch's father is like a featured ensemble track. So he's <laughs> Elphaba's father uh, at the beginning, Froggy Ferny Cabbage. Um, he is also the Ozian official. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, Nicodick, which is the, um, if you remember the lion cub scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, that character's name is Nicodick. Uh, and he, uh, I got to wear the goofy, awesome, terrible toupee, which always got to laugh, which is fun. Um, but uh, also confusing because that was the second track I learned the rat track, that first track I learned was the guy inside the cart doing the lion puppet. So I learned the lion puppet inside the cart, then immediately learned the guy right. doing this. Also, around. not to like do any spoilers, but spoiler, there's a guy doing a lion puppet. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know how they, I didn't know it was a person mm-hmm. 18 yeah. years later. The, what, one of the things I love about Wicked is how human powered it is. So rather than lots and lots and lots of, of animatronic things and, and uh, uh, crazy stage magic, of which there is a lot, um, there's a lot of human-powered stuff. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that gives the Isn't show- Isn't the mask human-powered? The mask. The Oz? Oh, the, the Oz head? Yeah, yeah Oz head. Uh, it's a puppet. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really big, really, really cool puppet. Yeah. You went on for the wizard too, right? Or no? Yeah, I went on for all the tracks I covered. Yeah. I ultimately did, have, did all the six. Do you have a Many favorite times. role that you've played? I really love doing Witch's Father. Um, I got to do it 
uh, quite a bit, um, and it's it was it's just very fun, um, and I got to pretend to be a baritone, which was great. Um, but that, I mean, doing the wizard was fun. I got to do the wizard uh, at the Pantages for uh, my entire extended family, um, and for my high school performing arts teachers who were all still teaching uh, and who brought a giant group of students. So I got to do the wizard at my home theater uh, in Hollywood for like fifty people that I knew, um, which is one of the coolest things ever. You did um, it with was, Queen Jackie Burns. I did it with Jackie Burns. Um, don't you? Who, okay, like, don't you? She like, was actually she was my first alphabet when I went on. I, yeah, I love awesome. her. She so she treated me so. We had a great time. Mm -hmm. She was the she she was an awesome like she was an awesome first alphabet. So I'd never gotten to do it before, and she was she was a champ. Um, it was uh, Jackie Burns and Kara Lindsay. Yeah, um, I, have a, I have a great Kara Lindsay moment. <laughs> Uh, I was on for Witcher's Father. I think this was Pantages also in LA. And toward the end, the guards all run on to capture Fiero. Yeah. Um, or, or they end up capturing Fiero. Mm -hmm. He does the rope swing. And yeah. you run on, and I've got this spear, and I'm running and running and running. And my, my boot catches one of the metal tracks on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I'd, done, I'd been in the show for over a year at this point, or almost a year at this point. Mm -hmm. it, this was a track I did a lot. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was second nature. This was a yeah. weird freak thing. I, I skated across the entire stage on my boot, fell, smack on my face, but still had the momentum to keep going on my big shoulder pads and the big jacket because, you know, mm -hmm. they beat you up for the, the guards. Yeah. And uh, I slid all the way to Glinda. I wasn't supposed to go anywhere near Glinda. And I look up and I'm trying to get up and Kara has had to turn all the way upstage because she's dying laughing and I'm caught and I can't get the spear up and I'm standing and I'm trying to be, no, you should halt, stop. Oh God. And I'm like flailing like a fish because I can't like a turtle on my back and I can't get up. And Kara was just losing her mind. That's fine. Anyway, that was the same, same theater and the same thing. So they occupied the same like memory bank as it were. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of fun times. When you do a show for two years, you have lots of, lots of fun stories like that. Yeah. So um, once Wicked is over, what next? I, so I got married during Wicked uh, mm -hmm. and my wife joined us on tour for uh, eight months or so with the, our dog and our cat and we drove the tour. Um, we bought an apartment while I was on the road and that was like, that was the, the mark of the end for me. So like the idea was do the tour, save some money, finally buy our place and move into it and get back to the city. So mm -hmm. we moved to New Jersey uh, in Union City and uh, uh, that was Thanksgiving. 2019 and then we all know what happened early 2020 so what i got off the what well you know there was this like meteor and it crashed and you know everyone and then ready. there was a there was a thing called coronavirus that came out of it and here we are the coronavirus yes the cocoa the cocoa um yeah. so i told I mean, somebody I, once I, i'm like oh yeah this person wants a cocoa test they're like what i never heard it called that before I'm like oh yeah i got a cocoa test for work they're like that's so cute you call it a cocoa test that's adorable yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that all happened right as I basically right, I don't know, four months after I got home. So I, I there wasn't a lot of like we were moving. We had just I was like resettling my stuff and getting new headshots and like getting ready to like re-enter the world of, of theater and restart auditioning again. And as all that was happening, the uh, pandemic hit and we we're all stuck inside for a while. And uh and and more or less here we are now. Um, you know in the world of taped auditions and mm -hmm. uh, uh, trying to figure out how to navigate 
that whole thing and uh, and back back in back in the things. Would you ever? I mean, is there like a possibility of you doing Wicked on Broadway or how? You never know. Um, the the thing I hold on to is I know six tracks in Wicked, so yeah. hopefully I'm valuable. Um, I'm also not getting any younger, so I'm only going to age into the Dr. Dillon and the, the wizard roles and the father roles and things like that. You never know. I, I'm, I'm shorter than the usually cast father. I am, who, who knows? Yeah. Um, and especially now with different company sizes and, and you know, everyone's kind of just watching and waiting to see what's all happening. Um, I would love to go back and do Wicked again. It was awesome. Um, I loved the tour. I loved our company. And if I got to do it here, I would be over the moon. I also just really love Wicked. Speaking of, ooh. That's, the, that's actually one of the first shows I saw on Broadway as an adult was Wicked, right when they opened. Nice. I never got to see the original cast. My first my first Alphaba and Glinda were Shoshana Bean and Megan Hilty. And Megan <laughs> Hilton was actually the understudy. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, never forget. It's where my love for show being started. Um, oh, nice. What do you think of the Wicked movie casting? I only saw the two ladies. Well, they're the um, only two cast publicly. Oh, I didn't know if they released any other, any other. Um, I don't know. Uh, 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 I, to be honest, I don't know Ariana Grande all that well. Um, I, I'm, I, everyone loves her. I think she's, I think they're going to be great. Um, I'm honestly like, I, I'm not mad about it. No, I'm not. I just, for me, I hope that Ariana Grande has the vocals for Glinda. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because from what we know in the zeitgeist of the world of Ariana Grande, she's not really a soprano and Glinda's a mezzo soprano or, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I would, so, I, I don't know, technically, I would say, I would have, I always kind of thought of her as a soprano. Or a soprano. Um, I mean, she has like a moment where she can. There, like, no, there's definitely there's mixing happening. There's some, there's yeah. some real, no, no, no. I mean, it's a difficult role. Both of them. Yeah. Both of them. And I also Rivo, just really like. Excited. I'm excited about Cynthia Yeah. That's, that's really and, and like, my only other thing is like, I'm very curious to see like how they're going to play against each other age-wise because like Ariana Grande is like 27 and, right. you know, she looks young compared to sure. Cynthia Rebo, who's like in her early mid thirties. So right. that's really like my only thing, but I love Ariana Grande. I think Cynthia Rebo is like stupidly talented. And like yeah. my dream is that they do an Aida movie and she's cast as Aida. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think we've learned from working with me. I'm pretty good at casting. So you, you do a pretty solid job there. Thank you. Other so than the goofy talk- bearded guy. The goo- what? Nothing. Uh oh. I'm, I'm doing a poor job of being self-deprecating, realizing that we're the only ones who can see the screen. That's true. Um. So let so let's talk about us working together. What was it like doing a virtual reading during the pandemic? It was really weird. Yeah. It was really weird. It was really fun. Like I'm really glad that I got to do it. I got to work with you, and I got to work with my friend Tim, and like all of those. I was very grateful to do it. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I miss the connection. Like I miss doing, it was hard for me to watch other Zoom meetings. That's really where, where it, it came out for me because the thing I love about theater is the live connection and the, and the watching of humans being humans in front of you. It's the thing I love about live auditions. Like I'm a weird, I'm one of those weird people who likes auditions. 
-hmm. because it's just a chance to, to, to work. It's a chance to do the work that you do. So Zoom readings for me were weird, fun, but weird. Because you can't connect in the same way. Like I, I, I knew that if I looked, like if I'm looking at the camera, like if, if Tim and I were in a scene mm -hmm. and that was most of the, of Dark Dark House was me yeah. and Tim yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at a camera knowing that I now can't see him mm -hmm. because I need to be reacting to what he's saying, mm -hmm. but I'm not looking at him. Yeah. And that was, that was the hard thing for me to get, to get. Past. Here's like, I'm going to say like some not great things right now. All right for like a directing standpoint for me it's like what is it like if you're doing on camera work you know what I mean you have to act to a camera sure so there's that element of it that's really sure. only the bad part I had to say but I will say like from my point of view I think most people at least who spoke about it have said like when they were doing the virtual readings how hard it was and mm -hmm. you know to stay connected but like, for me, like, I totally get that, but everybody's like knocking it out of the park with these readings and just like working well, so had, well with them, but you the, know, the also is, they're all professionals. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, yeah. you, you brought in pros to do these things yeah. and like, and, um, it, it, it makes a difference. It, 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 you know, how to roll with these things. Like we, we yeah. knew how to, how to handle it when it was awkward and weird like you, you just keep going and you just do you do your your best to do your work and that's all that you can do but it doesn't feel right and it also doesn't feel like doing something for the camera because you know that what you're trying to do is trying to emulate theater yeah. and especially we're doing a debut play and yeah. like getting to talk to him and meet him was awesome that was cool that was very, that you're was very fun. welcome that was really cool you're yeah. welcome. i do have to email him though and be like just saying hi Hey, it's man. funny too because we ended up doing like so much labute and it's because yeah. he was letting us do his work for free there's like a whole big thing that i'm not going to get into on the podcast because it's really oh, sure. business um i'll tell you after um but no he he was wonderful to us and the actors and just like you know and i was very specific about like which plays i wanted to do of his because mm -hmm. i also like you know, I just wanted to do them. And like, weirdly, I guess, like subconsciously, I knew they would work in a virtual. I mean, mm -hmm. I actually never read a dark, dark house until like Tim was like, I oh, Nick and I are doing a dark, dark house. And I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, where did that come from? Because that wasn't even like mentioned in anything you wanted to do. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, but he never mentioned this play to me. He's like, oh, we're gonna we're talking about this one and this one. And then like randomly, he's like, oh, we're gonna do this Neil Abute play. And I was like, like <laughs> you never well, even mentioned this play to me before. I'm trying to think. The only I remember we were looking at bus stop. We're looking at something else and it ended up being dark dark house. And I know like, it was oh, this is what we gotta do. We get the rights to it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um all that to say it was it was nice to do and it was really fun and I was happy to do it and grateful to get to do something mm -hmm. um and then a few months later you did Becky the... Shaw yeah and then Becky Shaw yeah <laughs> Becky Shaw was Becky Shaw was obviously a bigger group too mm -hmm. so Dark Dark House was just the three of us it was me Tim and Lala right that was it so it was it was a this like really self-contained thing Becky Shaw had lots of other characters with lots of other effectively uh, uh, storytelling jobs to do. Yeah. So it was just a completely different experience. It was fun. And it was also a comedy, a dark comedy, yeah. but like a comedy, which Dark Dark House is not. So 
in a lot of ways, Dark Dark House was easier to do mm -hmm. because it was a little more well, straightforward in its uh, uh, execution. I think you had a really big challenge for that show. Um, well, of course, with you saying how hard it is to connect people virtually, but right. when you and I were talking about like trying to find that fine line, especially in that scene with Lala, where you that didn't want to come off like too creepy. Right. Well, yeah. cause he uses the, he uses the creepy on purpose, which makes it even harder yeah. because he's aware that he's being creepy and he's aware that he's choosing to be creepy and he knows where that's going to go or where it can go. Mm -hmm. And we know by the end where he takes it. Mm -hmm. um, but those are really hard things to do on a, on a webcam. Yeah. And those are hard things without the physicality of this creepy guy who's a little old. There, there were a lot, there were a lot of challenges. Yeah. It ended up being very cool and very fun. And, 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 and it was rewarding for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. Well, you were wonderful in it. Oh, thank you. And if oh, I didn't goodness. think you were, I wouldn't say it now. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, okay. It now we're now that we've talked about your life and well, like, okay. So I mean, like the pandemic is like slowing down. Are you getting like more auditions now? Is it slowing mm -hmm. down? Like, what is it like for you now? Now my life is is taped auditions. Mm -hmm. So I've got a lighting set up in our garage and it's, it's, it's all taped stuff. And I get why that is. And I get why that's valuable to casting. And I get why that saves productions a ton of money. Like mm -hmm. I get all the reasoning behind it. I miss going into, I'm a friendly guy. I really like going, getting in front of a table and just like saying hi. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's a lot of what I'm good at is yeah. kind of just being a nice dude who goes in and, and works hard. Um, that's a difficult thing because I like getting direction. Like mm -hmm. I like knowing what you're going for. Mm -hmm. I don't love taking a stab yeah. if I don't, if I don't have background. So mm -hmm. I'll get material, you'll memorize it, you'll whatever, you'll practice it, you'll work on it, you'll analyze it. But at the end of the day, it feels to me like you go in, you, you set your camera up and the choices you make are your only shot. Yeah. So if you're not, it, what, and I'm not speaking from a casting point of view, obviously. Just, just from my own experience now, it's mm -hmm. you make some choices. You are as big or small as you think you should be in front of a camera, regardless of the style of show. But if you make the wrong choice, you will never know. Yeah. And if you make the right choice, you may never know. Yeah. Whereas in a live audition, you will often have a director say, hey, hey, hold on. What we actually are looking for is something like this, or, or can you try it this way? And you can make adjustments or if you're, I have to be funny a lot. So, okay, great. Being funny is great, except when you're guessing and, yeah. it, and it makes it, it makes it a tricky thing because if you're, if you're doing something in front of people and they're not laughing, you can, you can try to steer the ship in that moment and it might work and it might not, but at least you have a fighting chance. Uh, and it's tricky to, I, I'm, I'm finding it tricky, but luckily things are picking up and, you know, all of us are getting more and more used to it. And, uh, We'll see. And this is the world now. And I don't imagine it's going away anytime soon. Um, you know, it's interesting. So <laughs> coming back from my dad's house this week, I took a lift back into the city because I'm lazy like that. Um, <laughs> and I ended up like having a conversation with my Lyft driver like the entire time. Very nice guy. Mm -hmm. Politics were brought up. Clearly he was a Trump fan. Oh, wow. um, 
by then he was like, you know, I was going to get tickets to the Michael Jackson musical. And then I was reading that, like, not only do you have to be vaccinated, but you have to be fully masked. And I was like, what? And I was like, I'm going to defend that. So I'm like sitting in this lift and I was like, (laughs) I am a theater fan and I understand why people feel this way, but you know, Broadway was closed for 18 months and like, yes, you're vaccinated. But for me personally, I don't know where these people have been. If I'm going into a store, I'm still wearing a mask. I'm like, it's just an added layer of protection for you, the person next to you and the people on stage. And I think it's just not that hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like, that's what clicked. He's like, oh, I also read like, if you like sit here, there's places you have to eat and not eat and then like you have to be masked. And then when I said like, it's just an added layer of protection, I think that's what clicked for him. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody who I know from college who, when they first announced like the Broadway mandates for like having to wear a mask, like he's produced stuff on Broadway and things like that. And he like commented on it. Like, that's like crazy. You don't have to wear a mask. I'm like, <laughs> really dude, like you've produced on Broadway and like, you don't think people should wear a mask. Like my stepmom, her brother and her brother's partner, all fully vaccinated, still got COVID. Yeah. I don't go into, I mean, like I was in a restaurant last night I went to the bathroom without a mask on. I was on mm-hmm. Long Island, no mask, but like, you know, I keep my social distance from people. Yeah. Right. And I don't leave my apartment ever. I'm like, <laughs> right. My two friends jokingly say to me, they're like, if we get COVID from you, I was like, I know, right? I'm the right. Jewish mom who walks around with like travel Lysol and hand sanitizer. Right. It's literally right. in my bag. Um, my sister's the same one. Yeah. And I told you, I'm like weirdly germophobia at work. Imagine me in real life. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, guys, sanitizer, anybody click wash Just hands. Um, imagine you with like a trench coat and like, Rather than like a bunch of drugs inside, it's like Lysol wipes and like some like gum and some hand sanitizer. And like you have like a little mini like airline drugstore right here in your trench coat. I'm the Jewish mother of my friends. And I went to a training session last week for work. Yeah. And it was like, honestly, I had no need to be there and it had no relevance to my job, but it was like mandatory for everybody in the company. It was a Ritz Carlton customer service training session. Like it was a hospitality training session. And I'm like, I worked in the hotel business for six and a half years. Like, I don't need this, but so I'm there with like my boss and my coworker. And we were, I'm like, do you guys need light? Like, do you need hand sanitizer? Do you need this? And then I was like, I'm like the Jewish mother of my friends. And they were like, kind of poking in front of me. And they're like, oh, you're like the grandmother. And then they had like all of this food. And I was like, oh, I'll take a sandwich home. And I wrapped it up in a napkin. I'm like, I'll just put it in my bag. Cause I don't know where else to put it. And they started laughing and they're like, you are a Jewish grandmother. You just put food in your bag. Sure. Yeah. But then I put it in my pocket on my way home. I don't judge that. That sounds great. Then you have a sandwich later. Yeah. So you did. Yeah. I'm just looking at my list of things that I, that I always ask people. Yeah. What was your first Broadway show? That I saw ever? Yeah. Miss Saigon, the original company of Miss Saigon. Wow. You saw Leia Salonga? Did. Who also appears on my Disney shuffle as Jasmine and Mulan. Nice. Singing wise. See, this is, this, this is gold. And I, yeah, we, I was like, I was like too young to see Miss Saigon, but we were visiting New York from LA. My seen. mom had, a, like, my mom had knew somebody, one of her good friends knew, I think somebody who did props there mm-hmm. and it was Broadway theater. 
And uh, we got to go backstage and see the helicopter and like meet everybody. It was really cool. It was really crazy. But I was a little kid. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was the original company. And I remember, I thought it was Lance Longer. But that was my first, that was my first uh, membership. I was like eight, seven. Mine was Les Mis <laughs> when I was five. Wow. So for years, I would say, you don't take a five-year-old to see Les Mis. Years no. and years and years, I would say, you don't take a five-year-old to see Les Mis. Well, and at one point, years and years and years of saying it, my mom says to me, the tickets were free. You have to get over it. And then with the revival with Ramin, I ended up winning tickets with my old job and I took my mom. Amazing. Yeah. I think I got her a mug hmm. and I got a magnet. I just remember sending her a, um, a photo of Ramin with his shirt ripped open. Sure. Like the 24601 written across his chest. I'm like, mom, this is right. who we're seeing as Jean Valjean. And she writes back, hello. 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 It was really good. I was like, oh my God, Will Swenson can sing. It's incredible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see what else is on my list of things. Do you have sure. a favorite role you've ever played? That I've ever played, a favorite role that I've ever played. Uh, I mean, uh, Wizard and Dillaman and Wicked were pretty fun. I think Balaga is the favorite. I mean, I, I understudied it, but I got to, I got to perform it quite often. Um, for a while there, and that was, I, I, I can't think of times I've had more fun than doing that. Yeah. But love it. Hey, but Emo, love it. Marlon and Crush, the two roles I did in Emo were so freaking fun. And like, maybe it exists in a different world, but like, I don't think so. It was the same work. Um, I had a blast doing that, but Balaga, man. Balaga, Listen, to each his own, man, like, live your best life. Um, all right, let's, let me, do I have any other questions that I want to ask you? I don't know. I mean, I do, but like, just before we get them, what's the weirdest thing a fan has ever asked you? That's a fun one. The weirdest thing a, a fan has ever asked me? Yeah. I may or may not have stolen questions from this place when oh, I, nice. when I did a Q and <laughs> when I did like a 30 minute sesh with Adam Pascal and we both appeared and it was just us. And he was like, oh, there's not like a moderator here to like introduce each other. I was like, no. No, we're good. I'm like, I'm good. I, I do have a, I have a good one that, uh, 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 so I worked on a cruise ship when I was like 23 mm-hmm. for six months. And I was, uh, we were doing like a pop review, which I was not suited for, uh, and a Broadway review, which was fine. Um, but uh, very fun. Very, very, actually, I'm still in touch with all of the people that I did that contract with hilariously. Like we have a text thread still 13 years later. Um, but so we're just wandering on the ship one day. Uh, we had a show the night before. Uh, we had a very easy schedule and a man approaches uh, me and I'm with my friend uh, Kwame Remy, who was the other male singer. And so we're wandering around and this man approaches and says, gentlemen, gentlemen. And okay, I'm, I do the Southern accent not to make fun of Southern people, but because this man sounded exactly like this said, now gentlemen gentlemen now i got a question for you y'all y'all live on the ship and we're like well what do you mean it's like where where do y'all go that didn't help what, what, what do you mean where do we go where do y'all sleep well, we sleep on the ship wait you didn't they didn't just bring you on here to do the show no no we we live here we're, we're here we're here for six months I can't believe it. 
y'all better get out of here. Y'all better get out of here in case this thing sinks. And we kind of, and then he walked away. And we sat there like, was he threatening to sink the ship? Was he confused that people can stay on here for more than a week? Did he think we were on a helicopter? And we don't really know where this man came from. We never, we looked for him. We, we like desperately wanted to know his thought process. We couldn't find him again. That's funny. Um, but I'm realizing I have one weird, not, a, it wasn't a question they asked though. This was mm-hmm. a comment. Okay. There was a fan. Uh, so there were lots of Comet super fans or lots of Groban co- super fans. For the most part, all great, lovely people. There was a woman who showed up one day with this big necklace on. And as we got closer and we're all you know, going down the list, signing uh, programs, signing playbills, we realized that it's all pictures. Her necklace has photographs on it, like little like wallet sized photographs, all big and small. And we realized that she has printed out every single one of our headshots and, and made a necklace out of them and wore them. Uh, uh, and like, didn't say anything, but just stared at us. And like, would like find you point to your face and then without looking point to where your headshot was. So like, she'd look at me and go, and like land on my headshot. Um, I don't remember if we took a picture or what we did, but it was one of the creepier things that I've ever seen. Um, it was like, it was like, I imagine like if she had like a necklace of like teeth, it's kind of what it felt like. And she didn't ask you to be like, sign your photo. Not a word, not a word. Had she said hello, it would have been a thing. Did she you see her in the again? Eye no. I don't, not that I remember. I just remember Maybe she has like a shrine point to get my picture. That's it was it was creepy. So that was that was so it was not a question. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it was a creepy thing that happened at a stage door. Do you have any like future plans you can reveal to us? That's actually a question on here. Uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna be going into a reading in a couple weeks of uh, uh, of of a new show, and that's that's really the most exciting thing that I have going on right now. Right, when the podcast is over, you'll tell me what it is. I will. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so yeah. go ahead. No, 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 please. No, no, so, so, so. so let's talk about the list I asked you to provide. What are your dream roles? Uh, I would uh, I would punch a baby to do George in Sunday in the Park. Um, Great. You know what? I, I, yeah. My dream is to have a cabaret. So one of my dreams in life is to have a cabaret like performed for me Oh, of like all my favorite Broadway people. But now I feel like now that I have like connection to like Tim and Aaron and like, it's like, right. maybe I could do like cabaret for my birthday. We, we can sing. We can do, I have, I can carry a tune. We can do some like Dot and George. I'm in. Great. I can move on. Not well, but I can try. That's all right. Yeah. I, I would, I would kill to do. George and Sunday the Park. Um, I also, you know what? You have the hair for it. And that's the, here's the thing. The like, it's great to be a character guy because uh, I'm not getting. In, I'm I'm not aging out of these roles uh, soon. Um, one of them though. So I do have a dream role that's kind of funny. It's kind of weird. I and I'm way too old for it now. But I've always really, really, really wanted to do J. Pierpont Finch and had succeed. I love that show and I love that score so much. And I think it's such a great, funny, hard role. And I never got to do it. And I would kill to do it. I would still be able to do like Bud Trump, which would be fun. Which would be fine. Yeah. But it's like not bitch. I really want take it. my coffee break. It's such a good score. 
it's one of my, my favorite. I, I actually saw Matthew Broderick do it when I was younger. Did you? Yeah, I saw a lot. I've seen over a hundred Broadway shows. I've also been seeing shows what? for like over 20 years. Sure. I over no, yeah. Well, I don't want to age myself. Sure. I'll just say over 20. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I saw him do I honestly I was a little surprised that Daniel Radcliffe wasn't nominated for a Tony for that. I was so impressed by him. Yeah. I was I went in loving like loving that show as I did and like at the time that he was doing it I could have still feasibly done the role uh somewhere it, it not like in that production but somewhere I could have still been cast as Finch um and I remember being so ready to hate it and so angry and I was so happy and he was so good and clearly having so much fun and clearly working his ass off he's another one um, yeah he was every, great I've never heard a bad too. thing about him everybody yeah. I know who, who's worked with him has said he's he's awesome everyone loved working with him he just wanted to do a good show yeah from what i yeah anyway we i talked him. about like the dance rehearsals where he'd be like yeah i'd be in dance rehearsal and then i would like go into the bathroom and just set an alarm for five minutes and just like sleep in the bathroom for five minutes and then just <laughs> go back to dance rehearsal it's like i've been there i used to do that in the hotel yeah. industry i'm just like i'm gonna set my alarm for five minutes i'm gonna sit on a toilet and just like close my eyes do you know how many dressing room floors I've slept on underneath a dressing table? Just like it's dark here. I can sleep here for 10 minutes. Yeah. On a, on a, on a break in rehearsal, an understudy run or something at night. Um, I'll never forget watching him in How to Succeed and just seeing by the time they got to um, Brotherhood of Man at the, mm-hmm. the 11 o'clock, yeah. just sweating bullets and heaving uh, and like with a shit eating grin on his face. I was like that. He's doing it right. Yeah. He's doing it right. He's yeah. exhausted and happy about it. Yeah. That that's a person who's doing the show right, the role right, and Broadway yeah. right. I will say when I saw Moulin Rouge a few weeks ago, um, Natalie Mendoza, who took over for Septine, you can mm-hmm. just tell she was having the time of her life on stage. Yeah. And you just I love that. That's what I go to Broadway shows to see. Like yeah. that's what I want. I want I want to see the role you're doing, but I also want you're you're a human doing the role. Yeah. Like, I still want to, I, I, that's important to me. Yeah. I want to see that you don't, I mean, we've all seen at the highest level, we've all seen shows with people who should be by all accounts, wonderful in these roles and who are clearly hating every moment that they're on stage and are clearly miserable and clearly are thinking about their subway ride home or their limo that's going to pick them up at the stage door or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just going through the motions. That's the thing. I'm, I'm lucky never to have worked with those people, but I've seen those people on Broadway and you go, I know 20 people who could line up and do this in their sleep and yeah. who would do it for free. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's so frustrating to see. So when you see people like, like Daniel Radcliffe, like Josh Groban, mm-hmm. um, sweating their asses off and working as hard as anybody and loving it, where you go, that's all it needs to be, guys. Yeah. That's all it needs to be. So we have... George, we have George. Jake Pierpot Finch. Who and Pierre. Else? Oh, and yeah. I really, really need to at some point do Pierre. Really, really badly. And I will. I don't know where. I don't know when. Someone's going to do that show. I know I the role. I feel that way about <laughs> roles that probably won't ever happen for me, but you know, live our lives. Live your life. Yeah. Um, so what, what are your top going theater going experiences? The, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, so I studied in London for a semester when I was in, uh, in college, 
uh, I did a semester of Shakespeare and we got to see, as part of that program, we got to see a, a whole lot of great London theater. Um, and there was a, like aside from our program, this production of His Dark Materials uh, mm -hmm. based on the novels. And they, they had taken the, uh, now I forget, it's, uh, what, what are the three books? His Dark Materials, Subtle Knife, and, oh, it's going to bother me. I read them show now. Um, it's going to bother me, Nicholas Hintner. Anyway, they took these three wonderful novels uh, fantasy novels, and they uh, condensed them into a, a two-part uh, uh, theater experience at the Royal, at National Theater um, in the big space in the Olivier Theater. Uh, and if you don't know the theater, it's got, it's giant. It almost, to me, looks like the Vivian Beaumont, but bigger. Um, and it's got a giant, giant drum turntable kind of thing. Um, and it can raise and lower. So like, it, it was like watching actual magic happen on stage. Um, and I mean, aside from the fact that all of the acting and the writing and what was brilliant, there was this amazing puppetry work and I'd never seen puppetry done not for kids. Like this was um, without like going into like deep into the story in this world, everyone has a demon uh, spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. Uh, like you're like you're, like your spirit animal kind of mm -hmm. like in the most basic sense but they would fully converse with you and can converse with each other and it was this you would see the actor doing this puppet so the main character's name is Lyra Balakwa if I remember correctly and her demon was this little fox guy but you always saw the you know full-size actor playing this fox and doing the voice of it but it was a fox-sized puppet um, and you just forgot that he was there entirely and it was incredible. I'd never seen anything quite like that. But on top of that, the scenery, every room was used like once. So this giant ornate room would come up from the stage. They would do a scene there. It would disappear. And you'd never see it again in these two, three hour productions, um, the part one and part two. Additionally, there was, it was all, it was not a musical. It was, it was a play, um, but it was underscored. The entire thing was underscored. So they put the orchestra on either side of you rather than in a traditional pit in front of you. So it felt like the sound was just washing over you and coming at you from all directions. So you had amazing uh, effects in this entire world being built in front of you on stage. And I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and we like, I blew my entire budget on tickets to, to part one and part two uh, with my friends. And it absolutely just ruined my mind. It was so freaking cool. Um, and I, I've never seen anything like it since either. Um, but so I'll, I will, like, that was one of the the coolest things I've ever seen and best things I've ever seen. Um, I think I mentioned like Guys and Dolls seeing that as a kid when it was on tour. Um, uh, I don't, I, I didn't know to look at the playbill at that time. I had no idea or any desire to care who was in it. Mm -hmm. But I remember watching that and going, oh, well, this is the most fun I've had. Um, uh, uh, oh, I had, there was one, there's one more, there's one more, and now I'm panicking because I'm a sleepy uh, person with dad brain, um, and it's gone, and I'm going to think of it in a moment. Come back to me, ask somebody else. My top theater going experiences, <laughs> I mentioned them so many times on the podcast, so like, I don't have to re-mention them. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay. you remember. So it's, it's a weird one. So there was a show called Quorum Boy. Oh, I've heard of it. I didn't see it, but I know of it. It was, um, it wasn't at the Freedman. I can't remember her last name, Uzo. Um, 
Who's that? Black. Black. Yes, thank you. I could not think of her last name. Um, she was in it, uh, a bunch of people. It was, I saw their closing performance on Broadway. Um, and I'd only been in New York for a couple of years, if that. Um, it had a very short run. I, I ended up with a ticket to their closing matinee performance. Um, and I loved the play and it was all um, uh, Handel music. So it like, finished with a hallelujah chorus and this giant glorious thing. And, and it funnily enough was at the Imperial Theater which is where Comet was. Um, and I didn't put that together until after, way after Comet had closed. Um, but I'll never forget sitting there listening to this beautiful choir that was like on kind of like the second or third level of the stage like all around at the back um, while this final scene was playing out um, everybody on stage was sobbing everybody in the house was sobbing because a the story was was what it was and was so intense but also because everybody everybody in the building knew this was the last time this was going to be performed in this way right here and it was one of those moments where you kind of went all right, theater is theater because it's transient and because it can't be reproduced and because it's not something you can just pause and play and pause and play and skip and go back and whatever. Mm -hmm. It happens in front of you and it happens one time. It's yeah. a unique experience every time. And seeing that and seeing that it was the very last time any of those people were gonna do that together was like, like blew my mind. And I'd never thought of theater in that way or, or experienced that. And I've never closed a show like that. Everything I'd ever done was a closed-ended thing or was a college production or was a regional thing where you know, we're gonna do this for eight weeks and that's it. So yeah, there's that last, that, that closing show. The well, closing Comet show wasn't closed. that, Comet was open-ended. It was, but that happened yeah. a decade later. Oh, um, okay. um, but I mean, even Christmas Story on Broadway, it was a limited run, it was a holiday show. So I'd never, I hadn't yet gotten to do an open-ended production. Um, and so I just sat there and my mind was completely blown because it occurred to me, holy shit, this is never going to happen again. And what I'm seeing is completely unique. And on top of that, it's the very last one. Um, and my appreciation for what I had come to New York to do was like exploded a million times in, in that, at that curtain call. Did you think back to that moment when the last performance of Comet happened? I didn't, I didn't pair the two things then because that was such an intense and crazy time and closing. Um, like my last week of Comet, I was on, I think I did four and a half shows. Um, like I left stage, uh, uh, I, like, I like left the show early at least once that week and at least twice the week before because my hamstring was messed up, my foot was messed up, my hip was messed up. And I would get done with things and like not physically be unable to do what I needed to do. Um, and so by that last show, we were just running on adrenaline and like everything hurt. And like, I'll never forget going up for the big boys dance up in the mezzanine. Barely, I, I couldn't make it up the stairs. Like it hurt to run upstairs. And I had to sprint like 34, five flights of stairs each show or something we mapped out at one point in our run. And like looking from the mezzanine, from the back of the mezzanine, getting ready to do this dance that I knew I was going to tear my hamstring and I ended up doing. It was fine, but I knew that I didn't have to move for weeks after that so I could rest and ice. But sitting up there looking straight down at the stage and seeing Rachel Chafkin and Sam, uh, Sam Pinkston down there on the tables, like just like hooting and like fist pumping and partying and just cheering us all on that like it, it 
it's like nothing else that I, I can't describe what that is because you work so hard for so long physically and mentally and emotionally and then all you want to do is collapse but you can't you have to do it one more fucking time and you do it that one more fucking time we all collapsed during that um do you remember during the abduction you know we all kind of collapse on the ground for a minute mm-hmm. we were on the ground for like 90 seconds because of this crazy just round of applause and people losing their minds. And we were sobbing, like in the middle of the show, like the show stopped and we were just crying, just fully done um, and still had 20 minutes left and had to, you know, watch the, the show finish and, and watch the comet kind of explode for the last time and do all this stuff. Um, I wish that I'd connected Corum Boy to Comet in that moment, um, especially because it was in the same exact place which, which was cool. Um, but I guess, I mean, doing it now, you kind of like, and it was the same thing. We did this crazy cool thing. Everybody who didn't get to see it always tells me they, how much they wish they'd gotten to see this crazy thing that we did. Um, but it'll never happen like that again. And I'm both, that both makes me sad and really proud of that work. Yeah. Um, but that was a, that was a unique group of people. That was a that was a group of bonkers unicorn magic people um, that I'm very very still shocked that I like somehow was included in. Um, and that last show was bananas. It was just bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's the time for the inside the after studio questions, which I don't think I told you I do, but I do them. Nope. <laughs> These questions were made famous by Bernard. You know, it's you're, weird. You're, take two, take two. No, it's not going to happen. Uh, so what's weird is, so when I first started doing the podcast, I would always try and play a game with whatever guest I had on. Sure. And so I had Tara Novi on, who I don't think you know. Um, and I couldn't figure out what to do with her or not that's not an impro- like what type of game to play with her. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to ask her the inside the actor studio questions. And then sure. like a day or two later, it was announced that James Lipton passed away. Oh no. Yeah. And yeah. I have a very big history with inside the actor's studio mm-hmm. because um, I ushered it a lot oh, and wow. I may or may not have been on television for the Matt Damon episode. Cause I asked him a question. Fancy so fans. like NBG y'all. So awesome. because of that, I'm like, I'm going to keep the legacy going of this questionnaire. So sure. let's okay. do it. Sure. Nick Gasworth. Yes. What is your favorite word? Fuck. What is your or, or, uh, Fuck is my favorite. I say it more than anything. It, it can be filled in for anything. It can substitute for anything. It can be good. It can be bad. It's my favorite word. Uh, but also the word fustigate is great. And you don't get to use it ever, which means to beat with a cudgel or shillelagh. Also shillelagh, not a great word. Sorry. We have to incorporate fustigate into more things. Fustigate. Yes. You know what you Bob should write... fustigated me uh, for being an asshole. I don't know. You should write a musical called Fustigate the Musical. Fustigate them, where everyone just beats each other with sticks. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. they just like question what it means and then you come in at the end with a stick. Uh, sure. What is your least favorite word? <sighs> Moist. It's gross gross it feels gross it is gross 
what I know that's not uncommon. I know that's not, I know that's not unique, but it's, it's true. Listen to each zone. I don't yeah. like the word tits or tits. pussy okay. or panties. Yeah. Like I don't. Panties. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, so I don't like the, the cat word. Um, but when I read fat pig in college, the only way I could describe the lead character was a pussy. I was like, this guy is a pussy. And like, I don't, sure. ugh, I don't like that word. Okay. Sure. Right, what That's turns right. you on? Uh, integrity. If you actually mean what you're saying and you actually, and you show up and you are doing the thing that you are meant that, that you meant to be doing. I don't care if it's a Broadway show. I don't care if it's sitting down and having lunch. I don't care if it's busting tables or, or cleaning toilets. Um, it, it, if you show up and you half-ass whatever it is you're doing, I lose all respect for you. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter to me what it is. What turns you off? The opposite of that. <laughs> there you Immediately. Have <laughs> now this might go with the first question sure. but what's your favorite curse word i mean i can mm, i mean fuck obviously but let's see ass which is like i guess a, mm, like less of a curse word than it used to be i guess um I ass mean, is good donkey i i like to make them up I like things like ass clown, ass panda. What is an ass panda? No one knows. You know what happens? It happens a lot when I'm driving, especially in New Jersey, because driving here is like the wild west. Yeah, I get I get car rage. I get it. Uh, What sound Uh, or noise do you love? Sound or noise do I love? Um, I love a good guttural growl. A good. I don't know why. It just like it makes me feel like "Hmm, that's nice. I just, I get, I get like, hmm. <laughs> like not, it doesn't have to be. A I honestly, like, I have no that. response to that at all. I also love whistling. Any, any form of whistling. But don't whistle like. in a theater. It's bad luck. No, don't you do it or I'll bite you. Don't do it. Oh, you're, he'll fustigate you. I will fustigate you. Fustigate. Yeah. What sound or noise do you hate? Hmm. Uh, anything low rumbly, like low rumbly uh, and over loud, um, make me feel like I'm in an earthquake. And I'm, I've got a little, probably a little PTSD from my LA upbringing and, and some, some big old earthquakes. Uh, but like anything that's immediately very bass heavy and loud to that point where you can like feel it in your sternum. Like I get, like I panic, I get like panicky. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? astronaut like okay okay wait like for realsy or for yeah. dreamy for real for whatever realsy? what whatever like, you want to and the answer to this question to be um mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i really want to go to the moon i want to go there so badly i want to go there so badly it hurts so i would love to be an astronaut if anyone wants to put me on a spaceship just don't tell my wife she'll stab me in the she's face. right behind you actually um what profession would you not like to do or like to attend um uh insurance adjuster 
I feel like I would just be making everybody mad all the time. <laughs> and they really want you to like me. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job, man. Good job. And here are your students. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> inside the actor's studio. So, okay, my last question of our podcast, oh. unless you, you want to keep going. Do you have any questions I, for me? I, I don't, I don't at the moment. I, I've, I've enjoyed that we've had a back and forth and it hasn't just been like you asking me, uh, me tell it. I'm, I'm glad that we've got to have a conversation. I mean, that's what my podcasts are, man. Dude, this is great. Thank you. Yeah. So um, my last question, why is theater important? because we need stories and we need people to tell stories in weird and cool ways. We need people to, to keep inventing how to tell stories uh, anew because our stories are all the same, right? Like, isn't that what they say? Like every story boils down to the same. And I don't know whether that's true or not. And I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a theater history scholar by any, by any means, but I think stories are important and the way we tell them is important. And there's something about, there's something like carnal and real and urgent about being told a story live and being told a story by humans who are in a room with you. There's something more, um, there's something more critical to me about that than like say watching a movie. Movies are great, TV's great. Um, books are wonderful, like I, but I, there's something like that presses a button for me in the most basic sense of, watching somebody tell me a story and hearing somebody who's a human being who's actually in front of you. Um, and I, I wish that I, I had a better way to, uh, a more eloquent, eloquent way to describe that. But theater is important because we need a reminder that we're all humans. It doesn't matter what story you're being told, but that it's being told in front of you and that it's being told by your fellow humans feels more important to me and more um, real to me than uh, any other art form or any other form of communication, I suppose. Um, it's communicative in a better way than really anything else for me. Go see live theater, kids. Go see live theater, kids. Go Broadway's do live theater. back, off Broadway's back, wear a mask, get vaccinated. Go do, your, go do your school play, do your all, all your things. Doesn't matter what level it is. You do you can it. You get in the park and, and do and make up a scene. That's just as good. Yeah. You know, years ago, wow, that was loud. Um I liked it. Thank you. I can project sometimes. I um, my friends and I were in Central Park and we were in the mall section. And you know how they have like the different performers there? There was some girl who had a whiteboard and had a list of all these different monologues and was just <laughs> performing each monologue like. Awesome. Central Park. Weird. Cool. Yeah. Guys, you could do that. Do that. Yeah. Go, go put tap shoes on and get a little, get a, get a piece of plywood and go tap dance in the subway. Go get your guitar. Go tell stories. Go to a park on Sunday and just start singing Sunday in the Park with George and try and get yeah, Nick and, to do that. I mean, look, all you have to do is file your paperwork, get your name changed to George, make sure that it's accurate, and then yeah. you go to the park. Yeah. And it has some Sunday. Putting on the hat. 
Oh, I do that show so badly. Anyway, well, Nick, I'm going to end the recording. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure seeing you, even though it was, it was so nice meeting you. Like, what, I know, we ago? actually got to meet in person. I know, we had to meet in person more often. Agreed. Somehow. Let's go see shows. I'm I'm poor, but I'll do it. I'm, I'm, I have a dad budget now, so I'm poor too. <laughs> I have a, I spend too much money on food budget. I understand that that plight. And I also have a budget of, oh, I'm going on a trip. Ah, uh, same. But no, I got paid today and I was like, nice. That's nice. what happens when you work 11 days in a row yep. and you get more overtime than you thought. Overtime is awesome. Oh my God, it's just it's so nice getting paid Collected. for this new job, man. Yeah. It's just so much better than my old one. I get to work from home. It's great. Well, on that note, (laughs) thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, bye.